Okay, imagine this. You finish pulling on your officer's uniform and turn around to pick up your rucksack and head downstairs. There's a car waiting for you outside to take you to the docks. You're en route to a briefing for your top secret mission with the Admiral. As you pass through the gates to the dock office, you see a massive submarine carrier, the HMS Kelpie, with the two connected hulls is a wide and long ship. She was designed to transport up to four captured enemy submarines, but only in concept. Between the two hulls, you see two large submarines. In the back, a large transport prototype that resembles a large whale shark, and in front, a craft that looks like a flying machine with other smaller personal subpods hanging off of it. The driver stops the car in front of the command building. The driver opens your door, and you thank him and step out of the car. You go up the few steps to the door, and the door guards open the door and salute. You return your salute and go inside. The receptionist tells you to go on in. You go into the Admiral's office and salute him. He returns it and tells you to sit down. He tells you about your mission. You are to command 750 sailors and marines to investigate the sinking of the Titanic. The Crown has reason to suspect that it wasn't sank by an iceberg. Some witnesses claim to have seen a beam of light jump out of the water just before she began to take on water. You ask him why so many men, and he tells you that the Titanic isn't the first ship to have sunk in here with questionable cause, and that the region is the location of the fabled city of Atlantis. You say to him that this is just a story, and that a beam of light sounds like something out of a Wells novel. He tells you that regardless of what you think, you are in command of this mission, and that you will be commanding the HMS Druid and the HMS Morgan. He tells you that should you be successful in locating the cause of the wreck, you will be promoted, and the Druid will be the flagship of a new submarine navy. He tells you to get familiar with the ships and their crews. You salute them, then leave. You walk over to the ships. You pull your coat tighter as the winter air is chilling. You set sail the next day. As you get closer, you can truly appreciate the size of the ships. You were present when the Titanic was launched only a mile away, and the Kelpie dwarfs her. You walk up the gangplank and get permission from the officer of the deck to come aboard. You go up to the bridge and introduce yourself to the captain. He welcomes you aboard and to make yourself at home. You thank him and tell him that once we're a day out, you will brief the crew on the mission. The captain tells you that you should reach the drop site in two days, as the Kelpie has two of the fastest ship turbines ever built. You thank him and go down to your cabin in the starboard hull. The two submarines are loaded with vehicles and supplies for the mission. They're ready to drop as soon as the crews are loaded. You settle in and go to sleep. You wake up the next day and go up to the deck. You're already out to sea, and no matter which direction you look, you can't see a coastline. You go up to the bridge, and the captain tells you that they were given the order to cast off early. You thank him for telling you, and walk to the bow of the left hull. You hear a commotion behind you. There's a man running towards the railing with a briefcase, and people chasing him, yelling to stop. You advise him to halt. He keeps running. You calmly pull out your bayoneted Webley pistol out of its holster, and you raise it, and as he's jumping over the railing, you shoot him, and his body goes limp as he's falling. You walk over to the railing and look down. There's a hatch disappearing into the water and the man's body bobbing in the waves, but no briefcase. You walk to the point you first saw him and pick up a Mauser broom handle up off the deck. It has the word Thule engraved over the magazine on both sides. You go to the captain with the pistol and he tells you that the briefcase contained the mission details which were given to the captain before departure. He tells you that he will wire it back to command and start up an investigation. You thank him and go down to board the druid. By the looks of her, she can fly, and she's got two large propellers pointing directly upwards. She looks mean and ready to start a fight. You cross the gangplank and board your flagship. She has a very modern and practical interior. You go up to the bridge and look around. There's a very open tower with large windows to be able to look around. There's a large wooden ship's wheel in the middle, but it can lean forward or back to control the dive planes. You leave the bridge and go to one of the launching points for the subpod. 
You drop in to the single-person pod and are impressed by what you see. It is very reminiscent of a fighter plane cockpit, although it is enclosed. You see two harpoons along the nose of the craft, and strapped to the floor underneath the seat is a Martini Henry pattern harpoon gun in case of emergency. You climb out of the pod and go to exit the druid. When you reach the deck of the Kelpie, you notice that it is dark and elect not to visit the morgue. You go to your cabin and go to bed. You awake before dawn and gather your things. You take extra care to remember your father's pocket knife, which also has a foldable marlin spike on it. You take your rucksack and go to meet with the captain for the last time. You thank him for his hospitality, shake his hand, and salute him. He returns it and wishes you luck on your journey. You go down and board the druid and go to a bridge. You give the order to cast off, and as soon as you release and hit the water, a green beam of light cuts through the left hull of the kelpie. You give the order to flood the ballast tanks and dive. You don't give the order to start moving forward as the kelpie is still moving forward, climbing into the sea and rolling onto her left side. Water starts to cover the bridge of the druid. When you go below, you see the debris and contents of the kelpie rising up. You tell the wireless operator to conform command of what just happened before we get too deep to transmit and to inform them that you are going radio silent with them. You elect to keep ship-to-ship -ship communications up in order to stay in communication with them. You order the subpods to be deployed two at a time in rotation as escort and patrol. You take your rucksack down to your cabin and determine that it will take the rest of the day to reach the bottom. You suit up in a pod pilot uniform and go to your personal pod and launch and survey the Druid and Morrigan before docking with the Morrigan. You enter the sub and has a similar interior to the Druid. You make your way to the bubble bridge of the Morrigan to inform the captain that you're here to look around a bit as you didn't have time before the launch. You follow the signs of the cargo bay, and your jaw hits the floor. You see a tunneler that is 30 feet across and five transport vehicles that remind you of large steam engines and five small reconnaissance and scout uh, vehicles that look very similar to the subpods. You enter the armory, which is just behind the cargo bay. You see racks covering the walls that hold brand new SMLE number 1 Mark III rifles, which hasn't even been issued to the army yet. There's a holster and belt for a flare gun, and a shiny brass flare gun, as well as cartridge pouches for a Sam Brown belt. You asked the armorer if you may take this, and he said that it was meant for you from the beginning. You thank him, put on the belt, and attach the cartridge pouches to your belt. You also take note of the gas mask stocked as well. You leave the armory, go back to your subpod, and return to the druid. You change into your normal uniform and go to the bridge. When you reach it, you give the order for the subpods to make one final sweep and return. Out of the inky darkness, a green bolt shoots out towards the surface. You order all subpods and an escort formation around the Morrigan and to man the battle stations. You order an all-stop as you reach the bottom. You turn on the external lights and are greeted with the prow of the RMS Titanic. You change into the subpod uniform and give the order to search for two large holes. You tell the men to stay around the edges if you find one and then climb into your own subpod and join the search. Within 20 minutes, you find a large hole, and another man finds one. You tell him to wait until the beam fires again. You start to doze off when it suddenly gets very hot in your pod. You go full throttle backwards, and just as you start to move, the beam shoots into the sky. You order the Druid and the Morgan to be on standby at the other hole. You have all but four of the subpods return to the ship, and you lead the pods on the scouting mission into the hole. The hole starts to turn up after about an hour, and in 30 minutes, it opens up into a large cavern with a beach at the end. You leave the four men to set up the perimeter and secure our landing zone. You return to the submarines and dock with the Morgan and tell the captain the situation, then return to the Druid, and as you flash the spotlights, the Morgan begins to dive into the hole. Once the tail disappears, the Druid follows, 
It takes the larger subs about three hours to make it into the cavern. You have the Morgan beach itself like it was designed to and secure the Drew to the cavern wall, and you and the crew make your way to shore. The Morgan opens up on the shore and somehow manages to look even larger. Her captain oversees the loading process. You order lights to be strung up along the cavern and have a base camp set up. The Morgan will stay operational for wireless capabilities and 20 men volunteer to stay behind. The captain is one of those volunteers. An engineer calls you over to the wall of the cavern as it appears to be made out of plaster instead of the basalt the rest of the cavern appears to be made out of. You pull out your father's knife and unfold the marlin spike. You draw your arm back and stab at the wall. The spike pierces the plaster, but that's not all. Your whole arm goes through the wall. You put the knife away and call it the digger. You have it open up the plaster wall, and before it pierces all the way through, you have the driver stop. You take a torch and look inside the hole. There's another pocket of water. You get a team of men to light the next room, a team of men to clear out as much of the wall as possible, and a team of men to dig a trench from one of the pockets of water to the other. You don't bother to put on a pod uniform and climb into your cloth. You order the other pilots to retrieve their harpoon guns, and you order the armory to start distributing rifles and gas masks. As soon as the trench is completed, you pilot your pod into the other pocket of water. You turn on your searchlights and inspect the pocket. It is very deep, probably about 300 feet. When you, you reach the bottom, you turn on the lights, and you see chariots ranging from Egyptian to Old British characters. You surface and exit the pod, taking the harpoon gun with you. There's a path around one side of the room. All the men are ready to move out. Three of the recon vehicles leave the convoy, followed by the tunneler, the transports, the remaining two recon vehicles, and all the men. You are riding in the first transport. You pull out and really look at your gun, which is the first time you have since you packed it. It's a 455 Webley with a polished nickel finish with mother of pearl grips, and it and the bayonet are inscribed in old Viking and Celtic protection runes, which you've learned from your grandmother, who is a Celt. Reholster it, sit back, and close your eyes. You seem to have come across an ancient highway. You are awoken by the cracked rifle fire, and you hop down from the transport. You look out over an ancient city, and now a battleground. On the ground next to you is a young marine with an arrow coming out of his chest. An arrow ricochets off the transport behind you, and you drop down. You look down over the city, and see a man in elaborate garb standing in front of a wall giving orders. You think to yourself that the admiral is right. You take the harpoon gun and tie it into the rope to the support on the transport, and aim five feet above the leader's head. The harpoon sinks into the stone above his head, but he doesn't even seem to notice. You stand up, and using the rifle's handholds, you slide down the rope and drop down behind him. You notice he's speaking English. You grab him from around the neck and hold your pistol to his head. You tell him to have his men stand down, and the fighting will stop. He says he's afraid he can't do that, and that to not bother trying to turn off the beam, it can't be done. It fires when ships are overhead. As the last of his men fall, you say, so be it. You cock your pistol and fire. You let him fall to the ground and have ten men come with you to the palace, all the rest secure the city. You have word sent to the Morgan to return to the surface. You reach the great room of the palace. You look for any controls of the weapon. You find none. Suddenly, an Atlantean bursts into the room. You order your men to stand down. He tells you that every third beam can be used to return to the surface. You thank him and let him go free. You order all your men to the weapon pad, which appears to be a large green crystal. You have your pistol sent to the messenger to be returned to your antique chest. The Morgan and Druid will meet you on the surface. You step onto the pad, and as it's about to fire, it gets extremely hot. Your last thought is that the man lies to you. When the weapon fires, you and your men are vaporized. On the surface, the Druid and Morgan wait three days before returning to port. 
the Admiral decides to place the submarines into a special project storage, where a large time machine sits next to the druid. The remaining crew are taken care of, and the antique chest was last seen aboard the RMS Carpathia en route to Boston, Massachusetts. The Imagine This podcast is written, produced, edited, and narrated by Lawrence Link. Imagine This is a storytelling podcast from your point of view. New episodes come out every two weeks. You can find us online at Facebook and Imagine This Podcast, Instagram and Imagine This Pod, Twitter and Imagine This Pod 1, that is the number one, and imaginethispod.wixsite.com forward slash imagine this. Imagine This can be heard on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Podcasts. Thank you for imagining the story with me.